learning slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art, and sometimes comic book movies. I'm Chris Kreitcho. <laughs> and I'm Stephen Caradini. I didn't tell him Let's... I was going to do that, so. <laughs> well, today we're actually going to talk about comic book movies a little bit, but mostly we're going to talk about uh, how we respond to television, movies, and other controlled video uh, applications or um, I objects or however you want to categorize a movie in the 21st century which is a bit harder than you would think it is <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about how movies and television are administered particularly by controlling agencies like marvel and i'm purposely saying all these really large words because we're going to have a right honest discussion and disagreement <laughs> chris and i are and so i'm i'm using as descriptive and not inflected or uh what's the word i'm looking for prejudicial yeah that i'm trying to, to keep as far out because this discussion is <laughs> going to get interesting and what that discussion is going to be is how do companies that make technical objects make movies make television shows make streaming television make streaming online video how do they control and enforce and preserve the fact that they need to make money off of these things as well as being integrated into the internet and the network society and all of these sorts of things right and we agree on a lot of these things including the fact that there's a lot of change in the air we don't mm -hmm. necessarily agree on every particular about how every company ought to respond so this should be fun right right so our first thing that we want to discuss here is again comic book movies particularly marvel we love marvel uh we've talked about them several times as a model of how to do long view thinking well but recently they had a leak they had a trailer hit the interwebs before they wanted it to and we thought that their response was pretty great um they acknowledged it they blamed it on Hydra, and they went on with their day. We'll link it in the show notes. But And so we both thought that was great. And then they it came out that they were going to try to get Google to give them the IP address of the person who leaked it. Presumably, if it was internal, to fire them or something. Um, presumably, if it was external, to sue them or something. For a company that had such a great p PR response... To the situation it strikes me as very odd that this would be their next step looking at the overall situation one of the things that is clear and that we do agree on is that there are different schools of thought even in a company that is as up on new media and new media approaches as marvel so it became pretty clear in the aftermath of that event for example that there was considerable debate about whether they should try to get the material off the internet, which listeners will know how well we think that would have gone for them. I like to tackle octopuses too. <laughs> Let me introduce you once again to Kirby DeLauder. Yay. It, it's not going to work well. And so they did ultimately make the right move. But the fact that there was even debate suggests that there's, you know, a, a fairly significant generational divide there. And we know that Marvel is owned by Disney and that there are old school executives at the top of that chain. That 
shouldn't surprise anybody, most of the people who are running mega corporations are not 30. Generally speaking, that's not how it works. Except for, you know, Elon Musk. Hey, to be fair, he's 42 or something, so. I mean, oh, okay. He just acts like he's 30. He just acts like he's 30. And we also know that Hollywood is an industry, and really all the big media companies are industries that are very change-averse. They don't like doing things in new ways. They don't even like adopting new media formats like Blu-ray, except as sometimes they like the fact that it'll give them new money streams, revenue streams. But they nearly always fight and cavil and complain and whinge and whine about the particulars of the new data formats because they think customers will abuse them and steal them and share them. And sometimes they're right. Most times they're right. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not the point. That's not, that's not ultimately the point because one of the things that has been hard for everyone to grapple with is, uh, and by everyone, I really mean anyone who is in the business of producing digital content, is the reality that once something exists as digital content, no amount of quote-unquote DRM, digital rights management, can ultimately prevent that content from being copied. Once it's out, it's out. And if people want to get it for free, they can and will get it for free. And so mm -hmm. every bit of fighting you do to shut that down, whether it is direct in the form of software that tries to prevent people from ripping their Blu-ray to their computer and sharing it about, or whether it's indirect through the threat of lawsuits and so on, and not just the threat, but the actuality. Hello, Rhea and MPAA. We're looking at you and we're coming for you in this podcast. The reality is that you're going to lose that fight in the long term because that's just not how digital media works. But we can excuse them in some sense because we're in the middle of a fairly catastrophic shift in how we approach content. Things that have been relatively stable for centuries, and in some cases even millennia, in terms of books, scrolls, etc. Now, in terms of audio recordings, we're looking at a century or so. And in the terms of video recordings, we're looking at even less than that. So those industries really have less excuse. But nonetheless, we have established cultural norms for how you handle distribution of ideas and content and cultural norms don't shift easily and whether it made sense or not a lot of the cultural norms that we had in place for things like books or plays continued to be the con cultural norms we used in the early well, years of well 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 some of those are business norms some <laughs> it's of those true. are ways that money exchanges through the form of those objects because it's true. the cultural norms changed really really fast in the year 1999 like that was it it took like <laughs> well yes but what i'm saying is year. that we're we're still in the upheaval engendered by napster in some sense right but those i don't think that we're in a social shift like the social shift is gone my friend it has happened we are in a business shift that is attempting to respond to the social shift. that's probably fair is that social shift a good thing or a bad thing some ways it's good, some ways it's bad. We've talked a lot about that. But for one thing we know, that social shift is gone. It happened. It's done. Like, I'm not saying that everybody is an information wants to be free flag waver. But in general and implicitly, people operate under the auspices of the idea that information should be free to them when they want it, how they want it. And they have the ability to get that. So that cultural shift, whether you were doing it explicitly 
1999 and 2000, 2001, or whether you're just doing it implicitly in the year 2015 by listening to Spotify, watching YouTube, and occasionally visiting Pirate Bay, <laughs> that, that, you know, or any other number of like pirated streams of television to try to watch shows or sporting events that you can't get, like people just do that. Like the threat of getting sued is so little now. Right. Especially since, like, all we know that all they do is sue old people and young people. Uh, yeah. Um, so if you're, like, 25, you're totally safe. <laughs> <laughs> if you're under 20, look out. If you're over 65 and somebody was using your Wi-Fi, look out. Yeah. So because their methods were so ridiculous and because the technology is available that was undergirded by those philosophies that have now gone mainstream, that social shift over and out. It's done. Now, the business upheaval is going on and will still continue to go on for a very long time because the natural response to having suddenly all of your content undermined in its ability to be locked down by you is to circle the wagons and start setting everything else on fire um, in hopes of you know killing everything that's surrounding you. Um, but that's, you know, not the way that it works anymore, if it ever did. <laughs> and, and I think I agree entirely with everything you just said. But part of what I was meaning is simply that if we construe society broadly, not just as what the public does, but how the public and businesses interact and all of those cultural factors, we're still trying to short out, sort out all the ramifications of that shift. Meaning we're still yeah. trying to sort out, as we have often talked about on this show, how in the world do artists get paid in this economy? Yep. How in the world do companies like Marvel manage to maintain some semblance of control over when a trailer gets released? And we're sympathetic. I at least am sympathetic. And I think you are, too, to Marvel wanting to have control over when they release a trailer to best get people excited about their movies. Yeah. I am sympathetic to it, but I also think they are being ridiculous. Like, I am sympathetic to the fact that musicians don't make a lot of money, but that doesn't mean that that's not a thing. <laughs> it, it, it exists. And I think that the, you can be sympathetic and you can work towards, you know, working within a network to have the best sort of response to that. And there are things you can do, Beyonce somehow managed to drop an entire album without anybody saying anything to anyone, which is maybe, I don't know what they were doing, but they did something. <laughs> so it's totally possible to have that level of secrecy in the year 2014. Uh, but I think that one of the ways that I'm surprised that Marvel had such a great response up front and then what I perceived as an incongruous one on the back end is that they acknowledged that this was a thing that happens sometimes. They made a joke about it. Damn it, Harja. Yeah, there's there's not that many organizations that can say, well, that's a thing. And then on the back end, instead of saying, well, that's a thing, how do we work around it? They went into, into you know, danger mode. And they started trying to take all of the old school reactionary responses. So they were proactive on the front end and said, we're not going to let this bug us. And then they went old school reactive and said, we're going to find this person and we're going to fire them if they're internal or we're going to, I don't know what they were going to do if it was an external person. Um, but 
I just the, that mix of responses seems odd to me because if you're going to be proactive on the back end, what I would do is I would have just either done nothing or made a alternate trailer or acknowledged that this was disappointing within the organization and said, look, this is unacceptable. If you did this, don't ever do it again. Because, because like, I don't know. It just seems like there's so much tied up in the idea that ones and zeros will get out into the rest of the ones and zeros sphere that it, it seems difficult to come down on one particular person. And so maybe maybe even sending out that gentle, gentle slash stern reprimand to the organization saying, don't do this, maybe even that is past what you can expect. I don't know. <laughs> and and this is where our fun disagreement time comes in because I look at that and think, no, fire the person. I think it's very different what we want to communicate in terms of PR. I mean, I think, as we said at the beginning, they handled their public messaging entirely appropriately. I agree. But imagine if Beyonce's carefully crafted plan to drop an album unannounced had been leaked. She'd have fired the person who leaked it, and and rightly so. And I think... We want to be able to say, yes, on the one hand, play it smart and play it cagey. But on the other hand, if you send that email and all you get is a, hey, everybody, don't do this. We don't like, I mean, really, who cares? That's actually going to empower anybody internally to say, eh, nothing's going to happen if I leak it. And that encourages it to happen again, rather than sending a fairly stern message internally of, if you leak this, you're going to be out of a job. And I think that's a fairly reasonable response under the circumstances because trailers in specific and movies in particular, uh, movies in general, are incredibly expensive things to put together. And the marketing campaigns cost gobs of money. And I totally agree. And so saying we're going to find this guy or gal and we're going to fire him or her, period, makes total sense to me. Now, the suing someone on the outside, frankly, if someone managed to hack them and got it that way, they ought to be suing themselves for security malpractice. Right. But most likely that's not what happened. <laughs> See, I don't know. Like for me, that seems more likely to me, like that somebody had the trailer on, you know, some sort of USB drive and they left it at a friend's house or something. I don't know what happened, but it just seems bizarre to me that if you worked at Marvel, you would leak a trailer. So on Prima Fasce, it seems ridiculous to me that you would do this sort of thing. But, you know, <laughs> says things, the guy who. Be... <laughs> but I mean, it's so, OK. So the, the, the reason I say that the reason I say that is because the nature of working at Marvel or working at any large, like desirable company is that you would want you would want to stay at that company and you would want to do things that would ensure that you stay at that company. And it seems like because you live in a culture that's, you know, still hierarchical and top down, that seems like something that would get you fired because you don't live in a networked situation. You live in a hierarchical situation. That seems like something that would get you fired. And so I wouldn't even do that if I was in a <laughs> situation with Marvel. Like it just seems like a really bad idea. And in principle, I agree in some ways, and yet there are leaks of these kinds of things. I mean, good grief, there are leaks of Apple 
parts and software design and everything else. And Apple's probably the most popular or one of the most popular places to work in the world. And so clearly what makes sense to you and me in terms of behavior is not making sense to some people. So I don't know. So so what I'm trying to get at here is that there's all these contrasting systems, right? Like I believe in the network system where, you know, everything is on an equal playing field, whether you're Marvel or you're a small company and, you know, you'll be targeted more if you're Marvel because you're a bigger sort of more desirable member of that node. And so that's how I see things. Whereas there's, they also exist in a hierarchical structure that says we are a large corporation with lots of money and you are small people who do not have billions of dollars at your disposal because you're a person. And those things, those things clash in really weird ways. And I think that's what we're both getting at is that in, even though we disagree on how some of those clashes should end up or will end up, I think that we can both agree that there's definitely a a lot of the issues that they have surrounding the control of this object come down to those two systems clashing. Right. And the reality that the internet has been built, not to put too fine a point on it and being slightly over the top, but basically by a bunch of anarchist hippies in the 60s and 70s at its core and a lot of that continuing to go on into the early years and then continuing to form a, a substantial part of the substrate of internet culture you see that in ideas like information wants to be free and the idea that all software should not only be open source but free and all of these things there's a fundamental culture clash there between that and well, the basic money-making instincts of these companies, especially when you get into an area where they're producing content that is going to be distributed digitally and that is all stored digitally in-house. And how you deal with that, well, I mean, it's hard because on the one hand, yeah, you want to control your PR and your messaging, like we said. And on the other hand, it's digital bits. And whether you get hacked or whether some janitor who's enterprising and working his or her way up in the Hollywood things and paying for it by being a janitor or whatever else grabs a flash disk sometime, as you said, you know, there are a lot of ways in which those things can go wrong. Getting the PR response is great, but then also knowing the bigger external response. I think we can also both agree that going after even one outside hacker is a way better move and way saner than what historically the MPAA would have done, which is sue every website that hosted it. <laughs> <laughs> or or sue everybody who downloaded it 65 year olds yeah right so there's definitely they're, they're like the extreme of the the clash in that they're saying we don't care if there's any sort of old school new school thing going on here we're going to sue the crap out of it <laughs> we'll sue all the things sue all the things that is how they roll um, and that's, you know, problematic in a variety of ways, not only because a, it doesn't work as we found out, <laughs> but B, True no story. one cares. No one cares what the MPAA has to say now. No one cares at all. They see them as big bullies that don't have any brains or any hearts. And they just have a big we pen wielding subpoenas and stuff like and that's a horrible way to live as an organization. Like, how are you going to get anything done when everybody thinks you're either ridiculous or evil or both. And so 
that's like the extreme that I don't want corporations like Marvel to end up at where they they miss the boat so entirely that they end up being, you know, they actually get themselves into more trouble and they are more likely to get pirated and more likely to get leaked because everybody hates them. Um, and so when I think of responses to this that they should have done or could have done, I I do think that they should have had a lesser response um, because even though you think that that would empower people, I think that cracking down on it actually empowers people more than than the other. Now, do are people empowered either way? I mean, yeah, when something is possible anywhere. Yeah, and I, I think we agree that at the end of the day, this is the tension that large, or for that matter, small companies have to deal with. I mean, if you're a, a one-person startup or a five-person startup, even if you have a really revolutionary product, it's going to be a lot easier to keep a handle on what gets out. But, Or for that matter, if you're a particularly small filmmaking company. But if you're Marvel and there are thousands and thousands of people involved in the production and distribution of something on the scale of a superhero movie, yep. at some point it does get out of your control. And the best you can do is formulate a response that best balances these two competing agendas against each other and they're both necessary agendas and one of them is to insofar as you can continue to maintain some semblance of control over your message and the other is to keep people from thinking that you're the mpaa and and in part by not being the mpaa so in some sense don't be stupid don't think that you can sue your problems out of existence by going after 15 year olds and 80 year olds and on the other hand, whether it's by fostering internal company culture as best you can or by the occasional discreet firing or whatever else, you know, try to create an environment such that people understand why you're going after the first goal and thereby, and thereby as much as possible enable yourself not to even feel compelled to make MPAA-like moves. And I think that that's tough, right? Because oh, yeah. you've got... You've got things pushing on you from both ends. I mean, there are deep and difficult issues of security and of maintaining the amount of control so that you can create profitability. And yes, we do have some data that says, you know, from the music industry that the more power users have access to free music, the more they will buy. But we, I don't know of any research on that front from movies um, so we can't really draw a comparison there, although we, we would like to. That would be great if we found out that like people actually you know buy movies more if they're power users of, of free movies. But who knows if that's true or not. So you definitely have this perception that you need to squeeze as much money out of like these products as possible because they are your only products. But there's also this idea that they, they have to be somewhat open you know, a trailer does have to get released eventually, and then you want everybody to know where it is, and you want people to see it and just spread it. So playing the game of when things are timed, I'd, that's another thing that seems a little kind of dicey to me in the internet era, is that as soon as it's done, like, it's done, just send it out, I don't know. But <laughs> there are there are considerations that are you know, you want to release it on Labor Day weekend or on Christmas or whatever. I, I get it. But I think that as you're 
trying to make your plans to do these sorts of things, you have to take into account the internet. You can't just imagine that the internet doesn't exist, and then as soon as you want it to exist, it exists. <laughs> yeah, at some sort, at some point, you have to take the good along with the bad. Yeah, and so you know, like you said, I am sympathetic to these companies. I like Marvel movies. I want them to make lots of money so that they can keep making Marvel movies. Um, but at the same time, there's there's an element that this is just the way of the world now, and you have to prepare for it and I don't think that you should have to be as aggressive on the back end if you've already put into place good structures on the front end and good expectations on the front end. Right. I think that's probably true. And I think having the kinds of goals you just outlined of don't have your trailer sitting waiting ready to go for six weeks, have it. Uh, and at the, on the other hand, you're sitting there going, we need to make sure we have some buffer in case we run into issues putting it together. I mean, you're just constantly living with that tension of trying to get it right. And I think the biggest takeaway is if you're a corporation like Marvel, keep working at it. Keep trying to, as much as possible, just like you just said, make the decisions in terms of how you're loading up your front end that minimize it on the back end. And I do think one of those is company culture. I do think a big part of it is engendering a sense of personal responsibility to the good of whatever it is that you're making. And that's not specific to movies. Uh, whatever else we might say, I don't really have a lot of respect for whoever ended up leaking it because there's a certain amount of irresponsibility and thoughtlessness that goes into that. Yeah, maybe you get your little payoff from whomever it was you leaked it to, but ultimately you've entered into a, a state of bad faith with your employer, and that's just... Here it. are your 30 coins! <laughs> yeah, don't do it! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I don't I don't have any, any uh, you know, good, good vibes towards the person who leaked it. Um, do I understand why they leaked it? You and I both do. Because we acknowledge that the reality of the world exists, but that doesn't mean that we like are thumbs up on that. Um, there's a there's a difference between pragmatism and cynicism, and realism in how you deal with the world. And those are fine lines, but I, I feel they're important. That we're not I'm not dealing with this cynically and saying like, oh, everything is doomed, everything is toast, everything bad will happen. But there's also a line where stuff does happen we know it does it's a it's the way that things have gone historically and nothing has changed that will change it in the future unless we make the changes like we're talking about now before you go you should look at the crazy crazy pebble time kickstarter we'll put a link in the show notes we'll also put a link to a fun little tool that shows how absurd the amount of money that kickstarter is making guys and gals it made over $10 million in two days. There's still 29 days left in the Kickstarter. As of this recording, they're at $10,446,210. That's crazy. That's crazy. That is crazy. <laughs> totally crazy. And it makes me think of Adventure Time. <laughs> so Kickstarter, we've talked about it before. It's not always dedicated to these sorts of mega projects, but sometimes it is, and it's impressive. This week's music was There's a Light On by Brooklyn Duran. You can check it out on Bandcamp. Please don't use it without her permission. We got her permission. You get her permission, too. Until next time, thanks for listening.